0: Praise the Lord. Over the next 45 minutes or so, there will be four questions that each of us has to answer individually and independently. Number one, which gate will you open and enter in? Number two, Which road will you take? Number three, whose words are you prepared to listen to? And number four, which foundation will you build on, stone or sand? Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for this time. And we thank you, Lord, that you have put thoughts into our mind, Lord, Father, for us to think about, Lord, because these are issues of life. And, Father God, there are decisions that need to be taken. We pray, Lord, that we will choose what is right. We will choose to do that which you want us to do, Lord, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you will minister unto every one of us from your word. As we study your word, Lord, Father, I pray, Lord, that you speak to us. And where decisions need to be made, help us make those decisions. I thank you, Father, for every one of us gathered here. I pray, Lord, that you will continue to build us up into the kind of people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, about a year back, we started a study series called The Sermon on the Mount, or rather it was based on The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' target audience was his disciples and his followers. The Sermon on the Mount is not or was not meant for the multitude of people, even though they might have heard it, but it was specifically targeted to those who had accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and they were his disciples, his followers. Today we have reached the seventh, the final, the concluding part of that discourse uh, which Jesus gave. And this concluding message is titled, The Crucial Matter of Decisions. The Crucial Matter of Decisions. You see, from the very early days of Jesus' ministry on Earth, Jesus had three points of focus. Number one, was to get people to forsake their sinful ways. Number two, it was to get people to live to God's standards. And number three, it was to get people into the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus did. In the three years, three and a half years that he ministered on earth, His target, his focus was always on these three points. Get people into the kingdom of heaven. Get them to forsake sinful living, and get them to live a life of God's standards, not the standards that were laid down by people. And over the last couple of months, as we have gone through the earlier six parts of uh, this study series, We have seen that uh, Jesus has ministered different aspects that we need to learn to apply in our life. The Sermon on the Mount series is a practical application series. It's not something that we learn for head knowledge. Jesus said it, it sounds very nice, the Beatitudes sound very nice, and that's about it. No, not at all. What do we take out of it? How do we apply that in our life? How do we get to be a person who forsakes sin? How do we get to be a person who can live to a higher standard? Not the standard that's around, but to the standard that God is calling us to live. How do we ensure that we actually get to the kingdom of heaven? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, we read these words, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, today, you will find that uh, most of the reference verses are not going to be screened. I have uh, requested the tech team not to screen it for the very simple reason that it's a good practice to open our Bibles electronic or paper. So at least you'll know where uh, Matthew chapter 4 is. OK. So, Matthew 4:17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In fact, these were the very first words of Jesus' ministry. He had just had an encounter with Satan, Satan tucked his tail and went away. The angels ministered to the Lord, and then when he started his public ministry, the first words he said were, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now you will find that in the Gospel of Matthew, it's always mentioned as the kingdom of heaven. While in the Gospels of Mark, Luke, and John, you don't get the word's kingdom of heaven. Instead, you get the word's kingdom of God. You see, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew was predominantly written to the Jews. And the Jews do not take the name of God in vain. They will not utter the name of God just like that. You know, like how we do every day, praise God. Do we really praise God? when we greet each other, I would rather just say, Hi, how are you? But the Jews, they don't do that because it was sacrilege for them to just utter the word of God. And so through the Gospel of Matthew, you will find that the words uttered are the kingdom of heaven. While the Gospels of Mark, Luke and John were predominantly written for the Gentiles, and the Gentiles had no problem about uttering the name of God. And to make it clear to them that we were talking about the kingdom of God, the words used in those three Gospels is the kingdom of God. So please note that in the book of Matthew, you will hear the words kingdom of heaven, while in other Gospels, it is the kingdom of God. So these were the very first words that Jesus said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in the very next chapter, which is chapter 5, when Jesus Christ started the Sermon on the Mount, he spoke on the kingdom of heaven a number of times. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 19 and verse 20. Whatever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's constantly using the words kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. He was directing his disciples and his followers that they need to live lives which will get them into the kingdom of heaven. If this is what Jesus Christ said 2,000 years back, those are the same things that he is telling us today. Because he desires that we live lives that at the end of time, we know where we are going. And we should be going to the kingdom of heaven. That's been his desire always. So now, he comes to the concluding part. I said this, this is our seventh and concluding part, and so Jesus Christ is coming to the concluding part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and what is it that Jesus Christ is emphasizing to his followers at that point? And by extension, what is Jesus Christ telling us today? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, 13 to 14. And you can keep your Bibles open at uh, this section of uh, the Sermon on the Mount because we will be spending time in chapter 7 from verse 13 onwards. So chapter 7, 13 to 14. And I shall read it from the New King James Version. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. If you go back to the Greek version, because English is a very inadequate language in many ways, but if you go back to the Greek language, you will find that The word that Jesus Christ used is actually a command word. So he's telling his disciples, his followers, enter by the narrow gate. He's not saying, please try to use this gate. He's not saying, would you like to enter in here? Welcome. It's not like that. It's a command. The Greek word is aizeltatek. And tate is a word that is used by Greek generals when they give a command to their soldiers. Enter. It brooks no discussion, no arguments. You can't reject it. And this is what Jesus Christ told his disciples. Enter by the narrow gate. And then he gives an explanation. For wide is the gate, And broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. And then you go back to the Greek version, verse 14, what we have as verse 14. Remember, the initial versions did not have verses. The next word is actually enter by the narrow gate, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. Now, Jesus Christ said this. Why did he say these words as a command, and a word of authority from a man of authority? He said this because he knew that there are two gates in front of all men and women, a wide gate and a narrow gate. And there are two roads on the other side of the gate, on the other side of the wide gate is a wide road, or a broad road, as it is mentioned in the New King James Version. And there is a narrow gate, and on the other side, there is a difficult way. Now, I was trying to get to terms with these words, and then I had to refer to um, English grammar books, and then in English grammar books, some of you might be telling your children this one, I don't know, when you write your CVs, when you write various essays, don't repeat the same word in one sentence. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and wide is the way. That's what is there in the Greek version. But the English version, you see, we don't like to use the word wide and wide. The syntax is not right. So the English version has it as wide is the gate and broad is the way. Narrow is the gate and narrow is the way. And we will explain that later. Okay, so it's only for syntax reason that you find that you have the word difficult, which kind of makes it why am I going into that path? and you're telling me it's difficult, why am I going to go into that? OK, let's try to understand that, and we'll get to it a little later. See, the wide gate is easy to see. Everybody could see it. The road beyond it was inviting. It was broad. It was wide. It was easy to travel on, and there were a lot of people on it. There were many people walking on that road. So you knew that if you got onto that one, well, you will go somewhere. And you know, all roads lead somewhere, doesn't it? So you get onto that wide road. You get along with people. Maybe you don't know which turning to take, but you can see somebody take a turn here or there. Like sometimes, you know, when I drive and I don't know which road to take, I just follow the guy in front of me. Okay, uh, He may take me all around the city before I get to where I actually want to go. Uh, but you know, we can do that. one. So you have the white gate which is there for everyone to see, and God said, don't take that. There is an inviting road, don't step there. There are a lot of people on that road, don't worry about them. Because at the other end of that road is eternal destruction. That road is a road which is going to lead to death. Jesus was warning his disciples not to open this wide gate or step into this wide, broad, inviting road. He said instead, look for the narrow gate. Look for the narrow gate. The King James Version uses the word straight, S-T-R-A-I-T. Now students of geography will... uh, or Students who like to look at maps will recognize that you know, there is a small stretch of water between the southern part of Europe and the northern part of Africa. The southern part of Europe, near Spain and Portugal, is a small principality nation which is called Gibraltar. And immediately below that is a very tiny stretch of water, and then comes the northern part of Africa. Okay, a lot of people use boats to try to get across from Africa into Europe through that small stretch of water. That stretch is called the Strait of Gibraltar. S-T-R-A-I-T, not S-T-R-I-G-H-T. Okay, it's the Strait of Gibraltar, so straight indicates narrow. So when Jesus was talking about enter by the narrow gate, he was taking the word from the Greek version, which is stenos, or the Latin version, which is strictum, from which we get the word stricture. Stricture means a very narrowed out portion. Essentially, what happens in this narrow portion is that if you have to go through that narrow part, you have to squeeze your way through it. You can't just walk into it as if you're walking into some, uh, uh, you know, circus or something like that. You have to squeeze your way through it. Now, what does that mean? It simply means that it's a gate through which you cannot take anything that you possess in life. You can't carry your pride. It will not let you go through that straight gate. You can't carry your possessions. They will not let you go through that straight gate. You cannot carry your jealousies. They will not let you go through that straight gate. You cannot carry your sins. You cannot carry your wealth. You cannot carry your academic degrees. You cannot carry your bank balances. You have to leave all that behind when you enter into the straight gate. We'll we'll explain this uh, a little more, what it actually means to us this day. Basically, Jesus Christ was saying, you need to surrender. You need to surrender everything that you have. Leave it behind. These are all earthly possessions that you don't need when you enter into the kingdom of heaven. The riches that you will have in the kingdom of heaven, which are yours, are much, much, much greater than the greatest amount of riches that you have on the kingdom of earth. So leave everything behind. Just enter in through this narrow gate. Surrender your life to God. Live holy and righteous lives. Follow obediently the commandments of God. And as you do that, you can find the gate. You see, if you look at verse 14, the ending of verse 14, it says, And there are few... Who find it. So the narrow gate is not an obvious gate. It's not something that you can see and say, okay, uh, Jesus Christ said not to go through the broad gate, so I'll go through the narrow gate. You have to look for it. You have to search for it. It's not something that's highlighted there. It's not an obvious gate that you can go through. And then, you recognize that if you are following the people, you actually can't enter into that narrow gate because there are very few people on the narrow path. There are very few people on the path beyond the narrow gate. Jesus Christ is telling us in different ways that you need to leave behind the doctrines of this world the cultures of this world. You see, the world and the powers in this world are trying their utmost to dilute biblical truth and broaden compromise. What's the problem about going through a broad road? It's a nice road. It's an inviting road. Your friends are on that road. There are so many people on that road. Don't be so straight-jacketed. Don't be so, you know, saying that, you know, this is the only way I'm going to live. I am not going to live this way. I'm not going to have these kinds of habits. I'm not going to be speaking lies. I'm going to be honest in all my dealings. Come on, that's not the way the world lives. You see, that's that's what the world is trying to put into us. Those are the doctrines. It's okay. Let's get diluted a little bit. Nothing is going to happen. Our God is a God of love. He's not going to throw you into hell. God is a God of love. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we need to follow very high standards standards that are set by God. Let me give you a case of point, in point. In Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27, we read, For God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And in the same chapter, we go on to read of how God brought man and woman together. Today, I was reading an article the other day, a sportsman in um, in, uh, in the U.K. He was saying, he said, I belong to a small minority of sexually straight persons. I read that statement again. I said, what do you mean? I belong to a small minority of st- sexually straight persons. He said, wherever you look, sexual morality has changed. The world is saying there's nothing wrong with men and men. There's nothing wrong with women and women. There's nothing wrong with whatever and whatever. Man can marry man. Woman can marry woman. Dog can marry dog. That's not what the Bible tells us. You see, that's this narrow gate. The narrow gate is man. God created man and woman and God brought man and woman together full stop. There is no other gender. If you read Romans chapter 1, you will recognize that that's a rarely preached upon chapter because it talks about how God completely hates homosexual practices, and he says, why did he allow people to do whatever they want? Read Romans 1 from verse 18 onwards. He said, I've let them do whatever they want. Why? Because they have despised God, because they have put God away from their lives. And in the absence of God in their lives, there is no God, they start thinking that whatever they want to do is right. And that's how you get idolaters, and that's how you get murderers, and that's how you get fornicators, and that's how you get adulterers. That's the way Romans 1, Romans chapter 1 actually ends. And that's how you get the sexually immoral. But what is the world saying today? What is the church saying today? It's okay. Diluting biblical truth. But the narrow gate that Jesus Christ is talking about says, there is a standard that you need to follow, and that's the standard that I lay down. You accept, the word of God, do what the word of God says, and you will be able to find the narrow gate. And once you find the narrow gate, you will see the narrow path. Okay, This is what Jesus Christ is trying to say. And that's what he was telling his disciples then, and he's telling us today. A test for you and me today is just to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I know we have done six previous sermons on on this uh, but I know there's also six previous episodes of amnesia uh, so that's okay Uh, but if you do get home and manage to read chapters 5, 6 and 7 ask yourself the question how truthfully have you followed and obeyed the word of God in Matthew 5, 6 and 7 because those are clear instructions that God is giving us for daily living A man of God once said, he's a preacher in England, he said, God's kingdom is not governed by democracy or democratic principles. If it were so, the view of the majority would be right. God's kingdom is governed by the authority of God and the authority of his word. So we can't hide behind the statement that this is what is done in my country. This is what is done in in my community. This is my culture. That doesn't work. Is that what God is asking you to do? That's God's word. If what your community is doing is in line with the word of God, that's fine. But if what your culture is telling you to do is not in line with the word of God, throw out culture. If you're going to get thrown out of your community, say, step one to enter through the narrow gate. I'm making it. Don't follow the crowd. Take a stance for yourself based on the word of God. Entering the kingdom of heaven is more than being a descendant of Abraham. That's what the Jews thought. I'm a descendant of Abraham, I'm going to heaven. It's much more than that. Entering the kingdom of heaven is more than being born in a Christian home. That is what many Christians Think, entering the kingdom of heaven is more than just going to church and observing religious rituals or acting holy and righteous. That is what many churchgoers think. Entering into heaven requires that you and I declare who Jesus Christ is in our lives. In John chapter 10 verse 9, Jesus says, "I am the door." Isn't this a statement we often quote, the great I am statements of Jesus Christ? We can probably do us another series on the I ams of Jesus. "I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved." and will go in and out and find pasture. Again in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus Christ has declared, I am the door, I am the gate, and no one comes to the Father, the kingdom of God, except through me. So when Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, he says, I'm the only way you can get it. All roads may lead to Rome, but all roads don't lead to heaven. This is a statement that's often asked to Christians. So you say that only if if I accept Jesus Christ, I will get to heaven? What about my God? No, you're not getting to heaven. Sorry, that's a statement. That's, That's a biblical fact. So you mean that all Christians are going to heaven? No, that's also wrong. Because not all Christians have found Jesus Christ or the narrow gate yet. It's only those who find the narrow gate who will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And according to verse 14, There are few who find it. Are you going to be one of those few who is going to find that narrow gate? Now, to many of us who come from India, second most populous country in the world, probably by the time our children are having their families of their own, it will be the most populous country in the world. We are getting there. You know, at least we are good in a couple of things, and this is one, okay. But the thing is this, India might be a hugely populous country. It might be overcrowded, but from my understanding of verse 13 and verse 14, Heaven is not going to be hugely populated. We're not going to have a problem of overpopulation in heaven. Because according to verse 14, few will find it. Many will be on the broad road. And the broad road leads to destruction. Now maybe we don't like to hear this. Because we all want to be in heaven. That's good. We all want to be in heaven. Have you found the narrow gate? That is the question which we need to answer. Have you found that road which follows the narrow gate? So, what does it mean when it says that this is a uh, the road that uh, the narrow road is difficult? Uh, Difficult is the way that leads to life. It simply means that this is a road where you will face trials and tribulations. It is a road where there are different things, pressures that you will face. The very fact that you are on a narrow road, you are going to be mocked by your friends who are on the broad road. They are going to turn to you and say, Bishop. Holy, it's okay. Not you, not me. We are not going to get worse statements than what was made against Jesus Christ. So it's okay. Let it just bounce off our relatively thick skins. No problem. But this is a road where you will face trials and tribulations, this is a road where you will have pressures of life applied on you in different forms and different aspects. But you go through it, because at the end of that road is life. There's a good illustration that goes with this. I wish I had brought uh, a wire, which I don't, didn't have. Suppose you had a long electrical cable. No, maybe about 10 meters long. okay, Or maybe 100 meters long, so you don't see the end of it. And you want to connect one end of that electrical cable to an electrical point. So you cut off the plastic sleeve that's there, and you expose a bit of wire, and then you are ready to do the connection. Your life on earth is just like that one and a half inch of plastic that has been taken off. Your life in eternity is the rest of that hundred meters of wire. Ninety-nine point something meters of wire. That is the rest of your life. You may face trials and tribulations here. But there's a whole lot of peace that you will get the rest of your life. Are you going to forsake that for a little bit of pleasure that you will get walking on the broad road? Because the broad road is also the same one and a half inch. But at the other end of the rope which comes out of the broad end is destruction. You're going to have a lifetime of destruction. The choice is yours. That's why Jesus actually did not make it as a choice to his believers. He said, enter. Just like you would tell your child, you know, when you go somewhere, you would give a, you would give a command and you would expect that child to obey. Okay? Like getting, getting into your car, you will say, enter. You will say, it will be... I don't think any of us is going to say to our child, It will be a great honor for me if you choose to put your legs into this four-tired vehicle, which we call a car. So this flowery language doesn't work. You just give a statement, enter, and you expect it to be followed. Jesus Christ was giving a command. And that's the same command he's giving to you and to me today. Enter by the narrow gate. But he also tells us, it's not going to be easy to find it, so look for it. And he gives us the thing, I am the way. I am the gate. I am the door. So he's given us all the ingredients necessary for us to put our recipe together and come to a wise solution. Right? Okay. So remember, what do we have to give up when we enter through this narrow gate? We give up our pride, we give up our jealousies, we give up our achievements, we give up our possessions, our idols, our wealth, our positions of authority, our sins, hidden or otherwise, our everything. And my question to you right now is this. Today, are you prepared to give up everything and surrender your life to God? Now, I'm not asking you whether you're born again. I'm not asking you, do you know the Lord, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Is your hand on the narrow gate? Are you ready to open that narrow gate? Or have you already opened it and are you on that narrow pathway? Okay. Which gate will you open today? Which path will you take today? And then Jesus continues. Okay, remember it's not separate sections, it's one continuous discourse which Jesus is giving. And so he says something absolutely important. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. Matthew seven fifteen to 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. As I entered church this morning, uh, I recognized something hilarious, which I thought was appropriate for this particular part of the passage. I think Brother Banjo also recognized it and we uh, cracked a statement over it. I happen to be wearing the same dress code as the choir, unplanned. I had no clue, okay? But to somebody who doesn't know me, who's just come in, new, newcomer, they may think that I am part of the choir. You see, I'm a false singer. I'm not a false prophet. Jesus Christ says, beware a false prophet. But you see, I'm, giving you, I'm wearing a dress. I'm not a wolf. Uh, I'm just telling you, I'm wearing a dress which today is appropriate for the choir. So it may give the impression that I am part of that team. OK, yes, we are part of the Bread of Life team, agreed. Uh, but I'm not part of the singing group. I'm not part of the tech team. In fact, you put me there, I'll mess up everything. Uh, But you see, this is the way false prophets work. Deception. They don't need to say anything. They will make you assume. They will make you assume by the way you talk, by the way you do things. Beware of false prophets. The world is full of prophets today, and the church also has them, and there are false prophets. Everywhere. Jesus warned us of such false prophets and false teachers multiple times. I'll just give you some examples. Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 and 5. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. This is what Jesus Christ said. Paul said the same thing. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. He said, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. This is Paul's statement. Not to be left behind. Peter elaborates on this a little more. 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. He says, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, They will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Do we need one more man of God to tell us this? John, in 1st John, chapter 4, verse 1, says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And throughout scriptures, you have references to warn us against false prophets. The famous uh, British theologian, pastor and teacher, uh, the late Reverend John R. W. Stott, writes this in his book, Christian Counterculture. He says that, in that book he writes this statement, The culture of God's kingdom is entirely different from any worldly culture. Christian counterculture. The culture of God's kingdom is entirely different from any worldly culture. They just don't mix oil and water. You can try to bring them together, you can shake it up together, it will separate. Pretty soon you will see oil is oil and water is water, Christian culture is one, God's culture is one, sorry, the culture of heaven is one, and world culture is different. See, unfortunately, and I know that, and I know all of us know this, so very often, we say people we hear people in church say it in my culture we do it this way or we do it that way in india we say it and in india depending on where you come from you have different cultures okay so culture of my area is different from that of somebody else's area. But we keep saying this, in my culture, in my culture. I've heard our Nigerian brothers and sisters say that. In our culture. I haven't had, uh, heard it too much from the Sri Lankans. Probably they don't want to talk about the culture there at the moment. <laughs> okay. The Kenyans say it. Everybody says it. In our culture, in my culture. Remember, please recognize that when you say, in my culture, you have just acknowledged that you are on the broad path, along with a lot of your culture-related countrymen and women, because you are following their culture, and their culture is on the broad path, unless it's biblical. So let's not blindly follow what others are doing if it is not what Christ has asked us to do. We are called to forsake the broad path and seek the narrow path and the kingdom of heaven. So now the question arises, who are these false prophets? I'm not going to name anybody. I'll leave that to you. But anyone who tries to broaden a narrow path and make it more comfortable for, to travel on is a false prophet. Jesus Christ has said, there is a narrow gate and a narrow path. Anyone who tries to broaden this is a false prophet. A very recent example is something that I heard on television quite, uh, quite recently, tele-evangelist, I shall not name him, who constantly encouraged people to be born again. Powerful speaker. And I like his messages. Okay, Now, suddenly, somebody in in an interview asked him a question. Could you define this word? Because he was encouraging a lot of people, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. So at an interview, somebody asked him, What do you mean by this word born again? Okay, some modern Nicodemus asked that question. What do you mean by this word born again? And you know what his definition was? I stopped watching him after that, okay. His definition is this. To move from a state of low self-esteem to a state of high self-esteem is to be born again. How many people like me would have been listening to him saying that he's an anointed man of God, he's a powerful man of God, he's got great messages? How many of us would have been deceived? Thousands, tens of thousands, millions. It just happened to be, I heard an interview where he defined the word born again. And I realized that he was So far away from the truth that I better get him out of my television box itself. Maybe I need to change my TV screen. Okay, so that his influence is not even there on that screen. Okay. See, you see how deceptive his words are? And this is the thing with false prophets they will use the right words, they will use anointed words. They will use words which will appear to show that they are powerful men of God. But they are deceptive. So you need to be careful. And Jesus Christ has told us how we need to recognize these people. False prophets talk with confidence, even though they may be short of facts. Like a lot of people were talking in the recent, over the last two years, on coronavirus, they were talking with confidence without any facts, Okay. Now, confidence and ignorance is often good for a public speaker. But when it comes to matters of life and death, when it comes to matters of where you're going to spend eternity, let's get our facts correct. Let's find out what the Bible is telling us. And you see, that's the problem with false prophets. They're guilty of deceiving people with wrong doctrines and sending people to eternal damnation. Jesus wants us that we need to be discerning. Do not swallow everything that is thrust upon you. You need to look for the fruit that the prophet is producing. And I've added these lines. Let me read them out to you. Even now, as I share these words, do not just accept them because they are coming from the pulpit. Check them out. Go home today. Check them out. Study the Word of God. Is there truth in what is being said, or are these just empty words? You need to clarify for yourself that what you are hearing is from the Word of God. And not something else, because that would make me a false prophet. The decision to countercheck every statement of man and woman is your choice, but you better do it. Because so very often we get misled just because somebody has a capacity to speak well. But that makes him a politician, nothing more than that. Jesus continues to give us some warnings. there are many people who come performing miracles of diverse, of diverse nature, but not all are from the Lord. It's there in the Bible, in the book of Exodus. Every time Moses performed a miracle, the Egyptian magicians performed the same thing. Moses was a man of God. The Egyptian magicians were not men of God, but they were still able to perform very similar miracles. So not every miracle that we see is from God. In the book of Jeremiah, we read of God telling Jeremiah that he is fed up of false prophets in the land who went around saying, listen to the oracles of God. Listen to the oracles of God. This is what the Lord says, and I will tell you this. This is what the Lord says, and I will tell you this. God said, God was telling Jeremiah, I am fed up of these people. They are saying things which I never said. And of course, in the Old Testament, the, the punishment for a false prophet when he gets caught is death. Okay? Maybe we need to apply that even today. Okay. So if you don't see me here next week, maybe somebody's killed me. I don't know. Okay. Uh, Paul, in Titus, uh, writing to Titus, in Titus 1, 15 to 16, says this, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their minds and conscience are defiled. Then he talks about the false prophets. They profess to know God. But in works, they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. This is it about false prophets. This is it about those who go around saying, Lord, Lord, aren't we doing this for you? Aren't we prophesying in, you, in your name? Aren't we healing in your name? Aren't we doing miracles in your name? First, I don't know you. Beware, if you are going to say, Lord, Lord, you need to be fully surrendered and submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ. In verse 21 of Matthew 7, we read these words, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. He who does, not one who simply says, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And that brings me to the final concluding part, which I will not elaborate on, because it is something that we started with very early. The final portion of the Sermon of the Mount is from verses 24, to 27 of Matthew 7, we shall read that portion, but that is the message that I started with 364 days back, 18th of June, 2021. So if you wish to know what was said at that message, please listen to the message, it's there on our website, 18th June, 2021, the title of the message is A Tale of Two Builders. That message focused on Matthew 7:24 to 27. I'll just read the, those verses. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. That's the foundation we're talking about. Which foundation are you building on? Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came, the floods came, the winds blew, the bet on that house, and it did not fall because it was founded on the rock, a sure foundation. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, hears but does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and bet on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So my last question to you would be this. On what foundation are you building your life? Are you building it on rock, the rock of Jesus Christ? or Are you building it on sand? As I close, let me just summarize. And I'll ask uh, the tech team to get ready. uh, What are the things that we have seen today? What is it that you and I should do? Number one, open the right door. Number two, choose the right path. Number three. Listen to the right voices. And number four, build on the right foundation. We're just going to take a song. I'm just going to ask the tech team to play it for us. And it's a well-known song, so please, everybody, join in as we sing this song, and then we shall close this service. Tech team, over to you.
1: Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame But wholly lean on Jesus' name On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground Support me in the whelming flood When all around my soul gives way He then is all my hope and stay On Christ the Son
2: Hallelujah. Can we just rise up to our feet? My hope is built on nothing less. But on Jesus Christ, the solid rock, I stand. What a wonderful message we have today. I have nothing more to add or to take away from that. Pastor summarized it beautifully. And I'm just here to round up the service. But before then, we're going to pray. Okay? It's your own moment with God. Pastor asks you those questions. And I want you to, in an attitude of prayer, answer those questions. Have I found an arrogant? Have you found an arrogant? Have you found Jesus Christ? If you have not found Jesus Christ, you find him now. What road are you on? Just think, look inwardly into your life. What road are you on? Am I on the wide road or on the narrow road? If you're on the wide road, just ask God to bring you back. If you're on the wide road, the broad road, ask Him to bring you back onto that narrow road right now. It's a moment just between you and God. Who have you been listening to? It's not the pastors and the bread of life. It's not the leaders. Whose words would you believe in? Whose words would you listen to? Have you been listening to the word of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? Have you studied your Bible? Has God spoken to you? Not the false prophets out there, but Jesus Christ. And the last bit, what foundation are we are talking about? The important thing about that, please, I'm not taking a message, it's just time for you to pray. I'm just leading a piece of prayer. Say, who hears and does? Are you procrastinating these decisions? Don't procrastinate anymore. Find the narrow gate, find the narrow path, come back to it, rededicate your life to Christ at this particular point in time, as we close this service. It's questions. Pastor gave us the answers or gave us the questions at the beginning of the service. You must have pondered them. Now it's time for you to answer them. Father Lord, we say thank you. Thank you, Lord, because your word is not scarce from this pulpit thank you for this powerful message you have reminded us today to find the narrow gate to squeeze through the narrow gate and to continue on the narrow path you have challenged us to listen to your words Father Lord and you have asked us to build on the solid rock Father Lord I pray for anyone that does not know you that he will find you today Father Lord that he will seek you. He will find that navigate. If you're here, you do not know the Lord, Lord as his Lord and Savior, ask him to come into your heart at this particular moment. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Confess all your sins to him. I will ask you to come to the front. Wherever you are, God's forgiveness is there. God will forgive you and he will accept you if you have had that prayer, if you have done that prayer, wherever you are, just meet any of the elders and we'll put you on the right path, on that narrow path as you start your journey. Father Lord, I also pray for those that have backslided. Father Lord, I pray today that they'll find their way back to the narrow path. That they'll continue with you because there's life at the end of that road, as pastor said. And we shall look at the long term, not the short term. Lord, guard our ears what we hear online, even in church. May we listen to your voice. May we listen to your voice from your word that you have given us. May we study our Bible diligently as He required us to do. And Father Lord, may we be us. May we do us, Father Lord. What if you ask us to, may we do it. Lord, I pray for everyone that has come together for this service as we depart. We pray that your presence go with us. We love, Father Lord, we ask that you answer us abundantly this week as we go out. Anybody that has come with a burden, Lord, say burdens are lifted at Calvary. We believe that these burdens have been lifted now in the mighty name of Jesus because we have met with you. We thank you for Pastor Leslie. We thank you for the message that you have, you have given us through him. We ask that you continue to bless him abundantly. Continue to give him more rema. As he serves you in his kingdom, Father Lord, bless his family. Both the ones that are here, those that are far away, bless them and keep them, Father Lord. Enlarge their course in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray anytime he speaks to you or he requests from you, you will answer him speedily in the mighty name of Jesus. We say thank you, Father Lord. Thank you, Father Lord. We ask that your presence go with us. For in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen, amen. Before we share the grace, please, if you're new, uh, your first timer, my sister, and I think some people didn't stand, just wait outside here by my left. Our welcome team will meet you and tell you more about the church. Just five minutes of your time, okay? And God will bless you. Let's share. The, let's share the grace together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship.